Hello, and welcome to the Motivate Change podcast, inspiring heart disease survivors to live a longer, healthier life. I'm your host, Devin Brzezinski, a fellow heart disease survivor and occupational therapy student here to help you navigate a world of uncertainty after a cardiac event. Today, I am really excited to have Hannah Keim here. She is one of the co-founders of Heart Charged, which aims at uniting the heart community. And Hannah was diagnosed with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, which is the number one killer of student athletes, and it often goes undiagnosed. Her and her sister are making a difference in their community by advocating for CPR and AEDs to save a life. And so welcome, Hannah, to the Motivate Change podcast. Hi, and thanks for saying the last name right too. Okay, you did your, your research. <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> I wanted to just start off by jumping right into your story. Can you tell me a little bit about um, why and how you found out about your hypertrophic cardiomyopathy? Yeah, um, so actually this September, it will be 10 years. Wow. <laughs> Um, which makes me feel so old. Um, <laughs> but I, I was diagnosed when I was um, when I was 14. Um, so that gives my age away. Um, just kidding. Yeah, I'm not one of those women who are like, you can't tell me my your age. But um, yeah, so I was 14. I had just it started high school, um, September 13th, 2013. You know, I, I'm a dates person. Well, it wasn't until I got diagnosed where, you know, like every little date, you know, Today is actually uh, my eight years since I got my defibrillator implanted. So I kind of, for me, it's just kind of like, you know, a milestone to remember and think, you know, wow, all this time like that I've got extra or kind of just reflect on, you know, everything that's happened for me to kind of, you know, remember it. But um, hypertrophic cardiomyopathy um, or HCM is a genetic heart condition. Mm -hmm. um, so I got diagnosed and only really went to be checked um, because my aunt, my mom's sister, found out she had it. She had like open valve surgery, but it wasn't until like a, a regular like checkup appointment that they had mentioned something wow. um, that she that she had HCM. And so, you know, finding out and doing the research and you found out it's genetic. So there's nine of us in my family of kids. <laughs> Statistically, wow. one of us for sure, you know, was going to have it. Um, so that kind of got, you know, my mom was like, oh yeah, we definitely need to get you guys checked. Um, and she had a prompting to get me out of everybody out of all the kids who were living at home to get me checked first, but it wasn't until we found out from my aunt, it wasn't until like six months later that I actually went in and saw a pediatric, pediatric cardiologist because to see a good one, yes, it takes months. It's not something that quickly, you know, you can call and they have bookings, you know, available, Mm -hmm. But also it again, going undiagnosed, like my pediatrician literally dismissed me, even though I said, oh, hey, it's family history. Hey, I have had some fainting episodes. Like, you know, there are warning signs that if you have any of them, you there might be something, nothing's going wrong with you, but definitely, you know, deserve a follow up. And I had had a few fainting episodes. I had shortness of breath. I had some chest pain. But also, like, I was very active. So I'm like, hey, yeah, I'm playing. Of course, my heart's beating fast, right? Like, that's mm -hmm. just normal, right? You know, there isn't, like, you don't know that there's a, this is too fast for normal, you know, or that's, you know, that's a little too much pounding, you know, your heart. 
after exercise. So luckily, you know, my mom had me get checked and and I still played sports while waiting, you know, because there was no I didn't know. I didn't know anything like I wasn't told I couldn't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I went to get diagnosed, my doctor <laughs> actually said like when I was telling her like, hey, what are you doing? What have you done? Kind of like, you know, a little like get to know you part when you first see a doctor. And she was like, yeah, OK, um, I had a good poker face on because I'm surprised you haven't dropped dead yet as it being the number one killer of student athletes. I was a student athlete. I was playing on my basketball team at school at in a YMCA co-ed team. I was dancing competitively in school and outside of school. So mm-hmm. it's weird, but I was the most active I had ever been just six months prior to my diagnosis. So when my doctor told me that I had to stop all of it, that was very, you know, hard because I had just been so active and I had grown up in this active lifestyle of well, I was fine doing it before, like, why all of a sudden, now that I know about this, do I have to change my whole life? Right. That's a huge lifestyle change, especially like you're super fit. You want to keep participating in the activities that you enjoy doing. So what was going through your head when the doctor said that you could no longer participate in that? It I definitely a bunch of tears. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, also because it's like, so I, so I'm a religious person. Um, so I I pray and just leading up to praying, I could never even finish a prayer like I didn't have this. Like I I would call myself like growing up a little bit of a hypochondriac. Like I would be like, oh, have something. Even though now I feel like a hypochondriac, once you get a diagnosis, you're no longer a hypochondriac. <laughs> it's like, wait, I see there was something. Now it's all making sense of why I have these issues. So like, it's funny until something happens, you look back and you're like, oh my gosh, that makes sense why it was that fast and things like that. But for me, it was interesting. I kind of was like guided to because I was going into high school and in, in Miami where we're from in Florida, there's a lot of school of choice. So you don't, it's not like this is the one high school you go to, you can audition. And so like I had studied dance in elementary and middle school and I was debating about studying dance or like musical theater, doing something like that. And then I just kind of had a feeling like, you know what, I'm going to go to a school that's more like academic magnet than like, you know, extra like, you know, magnet stuff. And I was like, cause I don't want to be a dancer. Like I knew that, like, like my older sister wants to be a prima ballerina. My little sister, you know, wants to like Broadway and stuff. But I was like, no, like, I don't really want to do dance anymore. But I still would like, oh, maybe play basketball. I still was debating that stuff in my head because it sure. was just, you know, it was still the beginning of the school year. So I still had like, what am I going to do? Like, I still have chances. And then when they literally are going through the list of everything I can and they pretty much sum it up to anything that will get your heart rate up, you can't do you're like, so that's literally nothing. Like, I can't even do any, like, they're like, don't watch any scary movies. Don't do this and that. And I'm like, okay, this is a lot more restrictive because I kind of looked up HCM, but you don't really know it until the doctor tells you and kind of like all the restrictions and the full lifestyle changes that you're going to get. So like, I knew it was coming. I just didn't know exactly what that meant of, hey, you do have it severe enough that, we're not even going to really push you for anything. And we're going to immediately get you on beta blockers and get a heart monitor on you. 
but like I couldn't even I still can't now but like even walking upstairs like like I had like a three floor building in school like by the time I'm like up I'm like okay I'm a bit winded like and then I'm realizing wow like how bad was it because when I was playing stuff I didn't realize how you know how bad it was until I stopped and then we're slowly pushing myself just to do stuff where I'm like oh wow like I am worse than I thought you know like so it was it was definitely a day that will you know forever stay with me and a lot of dreams that I had like completely wiped off the table with them telling me you know this is what you can't do was like oh shoot like they basically told me I could play golf and shuffleboard so I was playing like retired sports and I'm like I'm 14 (laughs) I'm not retired like I'm I'm like and I and I played golf I found like some good like groupon for like some lessons you know and I was like hey like at least I'll go and be active and get outside you know and then I was like this is a time investment I'm not I was like this is I'll just play mini golf I'm not (laughs) like this isn't my sport I don't want to invest this much time to not even be like that great at it I was like Mm -hmm. you know but I still tried because I still you know when you are an active person it's kind of you do still want to do something like yeah. that keeps your brain active or gets you outside or whatnot so mm-hmm. and that's really I tried important. a few things no yeah, yeah exactly yeah and there are so many like little tidbits of your story like the fact that you really advocated for yourself I think is huge because even though your one doctor kind of dismissed it you're like well it's in my family history I should definitely go get checked out so I think that was really a really big takeaway um but also it's it's really frustrating to have doctors tell you a whole list of things that you can't do and that transition process of like essentially creating a new life for yourself, especially at 14. That's like, you know, you're, you're in high school and you have everything in front of you. And so like, I can only imagine what that was like, um, to like go through that. But it seems like you are doing all the right things. Like you're trying different hobbies and different ways to stay active, but maybe it's just in a different capacity than what you were used to. Um, so when they, my next question is, so you were first diagnosed with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, but they put you on a bunch of medications at this point. Do you have like any defibrillator or anything, um, like installed or not at this point first diagnosis no it's not until a year later till april 10th 2015 um that i get the surgery to get the implanted defibrillator and that's kind of also big into our our advocacy because basically a heart screening is what saved our life like if we had never gotten a simple ekg they would have never detected an abnormality and never you know gotten the follow-up but with um so my heart, since hypertrophic cardiomyopathy deals with the thickness of like the left ventricle, um, mine was about 22. Normal is like 11 millimeters. Mm. Mine was like 22. So for sure, yeah, like I can do that simple math. Like, oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's I'm not good at math, but yeah. <laughs> but I, I understand that enough. But um, so 22. And then I go in for my yearly checkup. The next year, they're running the echo. Uh, and I always know it's not good when my echo takes like longer than 20 minutes. Then I know I'm prepared for whatever they're going to tell me because I'm like, okay, this is going a little bit long. Um, <laughs> and they were like doing it and like, and then they called in the cardiologist and she was like, 
So we see it's about 27, 28, but we're going to have you go in for an MRI because an MRI gives more accurate measurements than an mm -hmm. echo. And she was like, because right now with the state of your heart and that thickness, you qualify to get a pacemaker or defibrillator. Um, and she was like, and we're going to give you the defibrillator because she compared it like a Rolls Royce. Like if you're going to go big, you're going to go get the fanciest thing, the best thing. So like, even though mine is a defibrillator, it also paces. Some defibrillators do not pace, you know, and defibrillator is pretty much like a big electrical shock. A pacing is a small um, electrical impulse that's doing it. So you could you could get uh, paced a lot more than being shocked because it really takes, you know, your heart has to be really um, bad for a long period of time to get that giant, you know, electrical shock. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't until it was crazy to think, wow, just within one year, my heart had substantially grew, like, obviously, like thinking like, you know, puberty and all these things, like, of course, why wouldn't my heart be growing like I'm growing and all that stuff. So that also became kind of a big advocate why we advocate for like doing heart screenings like every two years, because you could go in and be like, I'm good at one time. But hey, like years later, it could one present itself finally, if you do have the gene for it to grown even worse within that time. So it's like good to kind of do your yearly checkups. And so then they told me, hey, you're going to need it like, like probably like a like few weeks they told me then they're like okay as soon as we can we're gonna we're gonna get you in for for surgery to get this implanted because we want to get it in you as as soon as we can hmm. and sorry did you say that your defibrillator also has a pacemaker in it mm -hmm. okay okay um yeah because i had heart surgery when i was four months old and it was an atrioventricular septal defect and a mitral valve um uh defect, but I go in every year for an echo an EKG and sometimes stress test, depending. Um, but especially around puberty, I feel like that's a huge period of time. And then also when you're in childbearing years and you're looking to have kids, like that's an incredibly amount, a large amount of stress on the heart. Um, so I was curious, like, have your doctors told you anything when it comes to pregnancy, if that's uh, potential for you, or is that something that's still kind of up in the air? No, I've heard, I mean, it's always interesting because I've, you know, seen like a handful of doctors and they all got their own opinions, you know, which is their own right. Um, like after like the first time I got shocked, they were like immediately like heart transplant, like one of my doctors and the other one was like, no, 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 unless you're getting shocked way more and you're like, oh, okay, so uh definitely had different people but they have all said like I think because I was so young so you know they were like when it comes up that's definitely something we're gonna have to discuss but they've never ruled it completely off the table mm -hmm. and I can just say which has been nice and also kind of interesting in its own way of getting used to how how much has just changed within the past 10 years of HDM of like being told I literally can't do anything and now they're kind of pushing like no yeah get outside walk more do all this mm -hmm. stuff so they're definitely wanting you to live long enough, your best life. So that's nice to have those doctors who, even though the lazy part of me is like, I've gotten used to, you know, <laughs> not being that active, but okay, sure. Let's, you know, but like really seeing the prognosis. What's nice though is, so my mom, since I get it from my mom, actually, my heart condition, she didn't find out she had HCM till we found out, which is wow. crazy because she went in 
to like the ER with like high blood pressure and palpitations and they, you know, dismissed it or whatever. And my, what's nice for me to know is my mom having this condition gave birth to nine kids. So it's like, okay, at least I could maybe get through one, you know, yeah, um, yeah. I would like a lot of kids, but yeah, that, that's been something that luckily they haven't completely ruled off, but something that's like, Hey, when the time comes, let's make sure you are, you know, best to your ability and let's not push it where, Hey, you know, I'm in danger or whatnot to have the, have the child, but I hope to give birth and do all that stuff. So I'm hoping this heart, you know, does me well. It's, it's treating me good. I actually had an appointment today and I, I did a, a stress echo and my doctor was like, yeah, I'm impressed. Like your heart's like, I'm glad like it's good. And I'm like, oh, okay, good. That's oh, awesome. <laughs> like, that's great to know. So yeah, but like any hard thing, sometimes you have good years, sometimes you're like bad. So, right. you know, but yeah, I'm hoping with how science is going, I think, you know, and having doctors too, that are so understanding, like, that are like, oh, I know this is important to you. Let's make it mm -hmm. the best before it's completely, you know, it's as if like they didn't try. It's at least like, hey, I'm going to do it and see what other new research or talk to a doctor who's doing, you know, and like mm -hmm. really those are the doctors you want who really hear you and are like, no, yeah, like let's make it happen and and obviously have your best well-being in mind while doing it. Yeah, 100%. You need to have a doctor that's on your side, that's going to vouch for you and, and realize like, these are the things that are important to me. And if there's a way to do it, then why not? Um, and so after your surgery, do you feel like, um, that you've been able to be more active than you were prior? Oh, absolutely. I, I felt so much more like safe having it. I felt like I was walking on eggshells for that year and a half. I didn't have it because they're literally telling you like anything, you know, that's going to get your heart rate up. And I'm like, still, you know, I'm like, what if someone comes and chases me? Like I can't run. They're like, don't just like all of a sudden start running like the adrenaline. And so I'm like, oh my gosh, like I don't want to put myself in those situations, but like that could still happen. Like I can't control everything. Um, I even went to Disney on a trip before I got it. Which let me tell you that I've never had anything bad happen to me on a roller coaster. And that's one thing they're like, hey, you know, of course, doctors are not going to be like, yeah, go do whatever you want. They are going to be like, hey, this is a risk. But even I was right. like, oh, I'm only going to ride this ride once. And that's it. And I'm going to limit myself or whatever, but I'm still going to enjoy myself. Mm -hmm. But I know my limitations and not let like peer pressure or whatever. And, um, you know, people are like, hey, like, no, I'm good. I'm, you know. And the minute you tell anybody with peer pressure, like, I could die. They're like, you know what? Yeah, never mind. You're good. <laughs> I'm not, not going to push you to do anything. And you're like, yeah, yeah, I thought so. So um, it, it felt really nice because then I I knew I had something if something were to happen. And even like when I was in high school, they told me one person knew how to use the AED and he was on the third floor. The AED is on mm. the first. He was also like the swim coach, the water polo coach. So he wasn't even there all the time. So I was like, let's hope I don't drop a sudden cardiac arrest when he's not here. Because, you know, and not knowing everything at the time, I was like, okay, cool. Like, that's fine. Even though I was so, as a young student, like, I did not want to be unconscious in the in the school and have it happen and and do it. So for me, it was nice that, like, I don't like bothering other people or really asking for people's help. 
So it was nice as like, okay, I have my own thing. Like if something were to happen, I don't have to rely on other people. Like yeah. it, it, it will help me. Of course, you do have to rely on other people. And I think that's a, another struggle with having this of like, yes, it's non-visible, but doesn't mean you can't completely go your life not discussing it. Like, you know, you have to talk to them like, hey, if something were to happen, I you need to know in case mm-hmm. like if I start seizing, that's not normal. Please call 911. But hey, if I'm like this or I may be fainted and and my mom would come in and talk to my teachers and be like, and they were really nice. They would be like, yeah, you, like one of my teachers was like, you don't even have to ask if you need to go get water, go get water, go to the bathroom. But like they trusted me because I, I also wasn't like a super troublemaker. <laughs> I was like, eh, bye, I'm going to skip class and, you know, not come come back. But it was nice. Or like my mom was like, hey, she faints a lot. So like if she just puts her head down, it's not because she's like ignoring you guys or whatever. But like I think having that space where you're like, okay, like I will tell you. But yes, it's hard for me to be like, hey, I'm unwell because I know people look at you differently, like any human being like, oh, wow, you are that unwell that you need, you know, someone to look out for you or if something happens. So it was nice to know that I had my own little thing that's like, eh, I'll be back and, you know, get shocked and be back before you guys even run and grab the AED so I don't have to rely on, you know, anybody else, (laughs) which sounds kind of selfish, but it, it kind of like got a lot of weight off of my back of like, walking around being like oh my gosh like do people know and in every situation right Right. and I mean it's really nice that your teachers were so accommodating and understanding um, because I don't know I know when I was in high school like I didn't want to be different from other people I don't want to be like drawing all that attention to me so like if there were certain things that you were doing like putting your head down and your teacher knew then it she could like she or he could subtly like give you some water or something like that, that would not draw so much attention. Um, so I want to touch on CPR a little bit because with the, your condition, right, you can go into cardiac arrest very quickly. And so you think of like, I don't know if Damar Hamlin, if it came out or not that he has this condition they haven't came out with like exact reason why he obviously went into sudden cardiac arrest Mm -hmm. but they haven't and i don't blame them as obviously him being a professional athlete like hey if you have a heart condition but yeah no they haven't they hasn't been out yet that it's exactly why but yeah and and like you're gonna say like so with my condition i am more susceptible like hdm is like the number one like reason why someone would go into sudden cardiac arrest or mm-hmm. going to sudden cardiac death um and actually I'm a sudden cardiac arrest survivor like so I know the importance and it was my implanted device that saved my life both times so that's why for us like the CPR CPR helps buy you time but it's really the AED the defibrillator whether it's implanted or external that's gonna get your heart back to normal from sudden cardiac arrest and you know, it's it's an electrical problem. I do feel bad because I think heart attacks are better publicists than like, mm-hmm. you know, everyone thinks heart attack, heart attack. And when we come out, we're like, no, 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 it's different. But it's a heart attack can lead to sudden cardiac arrest. And that's where things get confusing. Like mm-hmm. if they're still conscious, yes, they're having a heart attack. If they're unconscious, that's cardiac arrest. That's, they're yes. not, yeah, you're not talking. They're not telling you they're having symptoms. They out cold, like that's that's cardiac arrest. And um, for me... 
even though I, it seems like I was like, I don't want to tell people. Like when you were saying this is the number one killer of student athletes, it's also the number one killer on school campuses. When I got diagnosed, like anybody, you go online and you search stuff. And all I was finding was dead kids. Kids mm. my age who had died playing sports I played. And I was oh like, gosh. oh my gosh. <laughs> Not only am I so grateful Ooh. to be alive and to have gotten to play the sports that I played. And I'm very grateful for the time that I have where I lived in ignorance and was just like, ha ha ha, enjoying it and not knowing, you know, how lucky I was. But it kind of gave, I call it like survivor's gratitude of, oh my gosh, like the fact that also these were all preventable deaths. And I think that's really what makes it more upsetting. It wasn't like some freak accident or they would have never known. It was like if they had gotten in a simple EKG and, you know, they would have been detected and would have found out, then they could have, you know, stopped it. Of course, you can't stop 100% of the cases. Like, you know, like you're never going to reach 100% because even in news, there's some people who want who saw a doctor, they could still play. And then all of a sudden, they still died of sudden cardiac arrest, even having an AD or CPR. Those mm. are very more rare numbers, but it's not like, but most of the cases, it's preventable. And so for me, I was like, well, what can I do? I'm only like a 14 year old kid. <laughs> like, <laughs> so I, I come from a background of like politics and grassroots activism. Mm-hmm. And so I really pushed to just share my story. So I would even do like spoken words because for me, though, I couldn't do sports. I went into acting. So I started doing like on stage stuff because I was one of those dancers who like doing facials and like, eh, eh, like, you know, being crazy on stage and doing things so I always liked performing so I kind of turned that and my like you know activism to hey this is something that's killing kids my age that we can prevent and so I shared stories I did presentations in my school so I was known as a girl with a heart condition which was kind of for me from high school to college I kind of didn't like that because I didn't want to be known as the first thing you know is oh you've got a deadly heart condition you know but I knew like the importance in high school to speak up because nobody else was to be like hey you know we need to get this and do it and so activism for us has always been a big thing so when we finally made hard charge that was always like yes like that's what we want to do is to use a bigger platform and a bigger voice and work with you know whether it's elected officials or other organizations to get our mission across especially with CPR and AEDs because like it shouldn't be killing especially the young people like you you know like you have your whole life in front of you and and the reason it works so well is our awareness hey even if you get detected now you have a community which is something that me and my sister really wanted and any young hard person you know who's now an adult you didn't want to feel alone Mm-hmm. and like even making it it's funny meeting people here in Miami that were like wait you were here but yeah. I didn't know because it's like you could live so close but your paths never crossed you know mm. so it's like oh wow like there were people but like that is like the beautiful thing of social media is connecting with people that you would have never had the chance to run in and meet with so being able to use our awareness but then knowing like if you end up having survived sudden cardiac arrest or you have a loved one, you know, who's been affected by it or you have a heart condition, you also have a community to fall back on and your life doesn't end with the diagnosis. Like you can still live a good life because, you you know, if you see the stories while these kids drop dead like me and you're thinking, oh, my gosh, what is the hope for me? So right. like that was a big thing that we wanted to push that there 
you can still live a good life with this condition. So, you know, you have this fallback too. So that's was kind of big for us to kind of do those two of, hey, you have this community and mm-hmm. we're also pushing for this activism and whether you are just an ally or you're actually affected by it, you have a place here to be able to, you know, feel welcome and also to push the message across. Yeah, that's amazing. And it's definitely needed because like you said, there's so many young kids that are dying from this condition and it could be prevented. Um, so I know you were trying to push to get some AEDs into schools. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess teaching individuals about how to perform CPR and the importance of it. And especially, I guess, as women, a lot of times, I think we're two to three times less likely to receive bystander CPR just because of our breasts and Mm -hmm. it's not fair. (laughs) And I feel like you guys bring a lot of awareness to that fact. Um, and so if you know that somebody passes out, you don't even have to check to see if they have a pulse, if they're just not responsive at all, the, the protocol is to start nine one or call nine one one and start CPR right away. And you press down hard and fast in the middle of the chest. Um, and if you need to cut off clothes for the AED and everything, like that's w- what you should do in order to save a life. Um, and so I love your guys's mission is to try to spread that awareness. No, absolutely. And especially for us with the women, like finding that research coming out, like the, like we even took a long time for our campaign of like flash the boobs, like mm-hmm. put it out there. Like, cause we know like, Hey, there are kids that follow us and that we are like a family friendly thing and do it but we're like like if no one if like we have to say it you know what I mean like there's not enough stories being told that like you kind of have to like step up and be like even if you kind of are like I'm a little bit timid I don't like public speaking or I don't really want to share my story I think in the heart community so many of us are is because there aren't enough stories being told in the news in the you know in film and television that it's like you know what at least I can share my story and like share it on social media because I have control over my social media you know where I can get it out there and I think it's you know so important and and it's so sad to like to see and even to see people like we posted on on TikTok and there's a lot more like trolls and I mean there's trolls on everything but like there's a lot of men on there who was like I'm not getting charged I'm not gonna flash them and I'm like oh my gosh like I'm a woman telling you it is okay also it's like quick boom 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 you aren't doing any groping which you shouldn't be doing like if you know it and we even had somebody one of our followers amazing guy he's a father and he was like I actually did a CPR class but I was too like timid to ask that question which is true because like in America like breasts are kind of like oh it's a little taboo yeah but like luckily he saw us and he was like okay so that is fine but like the fact also that like that CPR instructor wasn't (laughs) saying like hey they might have boobs and even the mannequins the fact that there's like two people who have mannequins with breasts like two manufacturers which shows you like oh yeah how that does affect you having a flat-chested man mannequin will affect your outlook on who you can do CPR which mm-hmm. on like you would never think that but you're like wait that is a big concern because I'm only thinking oh yeah for a man and then you're like wait these lumps where do I put the pads and then somehow uh-huh. it's all you know thrown so for us with teaching our CPR we are big on kind of teaching like the everyday man that's our outlook we're not you know we do teach some professionals but it's more like people like us where like people are always like you gotta check the post you're like "Uh -uh, 
first of all, you can't even check your own post that fast. Sometimes you're like, <laughs> wait, what? You're like, there's way quicker things. We're all about the quickness, all about the thing. Like, no, this is what needs to be. And I think that's what's also been missing. And sometimes this people are like, every day, just teach it simple. Oh, wow. Boom. Okay. Got it. Great. Also teaching it in a fun, exciting way where one, you aren't scared when you leave or you're like, oh my gosh, I hope this never happens. I never have to mm-hmm. do it. And also getting them on the mannequins because everyone, once they get on the mannequins, they're like, oh my gosh, this is a lot like, like d- farther than it's I thought. It's harder. Like, yeah. Yes. Yeah. It is you not have easy. to really press hard. It's not easy. You're going to get a workout from that. <laughs> no, absolutely. You're like, and even professional people like paramedics even switch off too, because it's like, you are putting a lot like, that's why even when we teach kids, like anybody can call 911 and use an AED. And that's why we really push those two because it's true. CPR takes a little bit more technique and stuff, but it's like, if you have the AED, that's the biggest thing that's going to bring someone back. And yep. it's like, and if all you can do is call 911, at least you did something, you know, like, because yep. sometimes it's hard with the kids like, hey, there's not AEDs accessible everywhere. But like, if you tried your best to do it, you know, like that's good enough. You know, I'm, I, you know, like, hey, like, that's the best that you could do. And that's okay. Don't feel bad that you're like, oh, my gosh. But the worst is if you if there was an AED there, you didn't know, or like, oh, wow, I could have at least tried a little bit of the CPR, like, just get over it and try it. Like, the we're always like, the alternative is death. Yeah. So you might bruise a few ribs. That's okay. The alternative, I'd rather have bruised ribs than be dead. So it's like, hey, at least try your best. And at least you put in the effort instead of living with that regret of what if, what if, what if, just try it. And like, and people, we always tell people the good Samaritan laws. If the person is unconscious, you can perform CPR. You will not be sued. You can Mm -hmm. place an AED on them. So you don't have to worry about that. And most people who I've talked to who survived, they did not sue the person. (laughs) They're like even best friends. (laughs) Yeah. They're like on their Christmas like card. And they're like, this is somebody who means a lot to me because they help save my life so it's never anything that's going to be bad like yes. you know yeah. so. well I have one more question we're running out of time but can you tell me a little bit about the disability film challenge that you guys just entered and what your video is promoting yes so we with the film challenge we had like five days um they do it. it's their 10th year anniversary that they did it it's our first year in participating in it um because you know during my diagnosis um as I said I couldn't do a lot of things and I turned to tv and I just watched a lot more tv and movies and I fell in love with wanting to make tv and movies Mm. and I also realized while I was using this as an escape um from my diagnosis you know I realized wait I'm also not seeing stories about people especially young people with heart conditions also not great representation if they are shown they end up in a coma or end up dying at the end so it's not even great hope for people if they were to watch it like oh let me see this like a lot of the characters die and you're like oh so media is also telling me that there's no hope for me so when I finally decided to go and go to college and study film I knew one of the big reasons when people ask you oh why did you come to film school was to be able to tell stories about this. So for me, I wanted to tell it was like the role, the genre was romance that we to tell it in. And for me, having never had a boyfriend, like I've dated people, but never like serious or long term. 
Mm-hmm. We also realize having, you know, a chronic condition that does affect the way you date. It also affects like having friendships that for me, especially in high school, like the biggest things were friendships, you know, and I think there's a romance in that of like, hey, you love your friend, you know, um, that you can have that romance with the friendships. And so I'm a big proponent on having good friends on being a good friend. So I wanted to tell a story where the two characters almost like a split of me <laughs> um, <laughs> because I was a friend who would be ignored. Like someone would get the boyfriend and they would be ignored and you're kind of like, great, you know, Ooh, and it's true. Yeah. It's, it's hard to manage and time balance it, but I didn't, but then I just, I made the characters. So, you know, I relate to both characters, one being the sense of um, Vera is her name, who's, you know, been left behind by a really good, you know, best friend that's you know that's the autobiographical part of the <laughs> story um where yeah where I think it's hard too when you're juggling so much in high school like you get a boyfriend and then you think I think with long-term friends like you always be around like no need like you know like I don't need to put in effort and then it's like no offense like I would like effort to be put in you know to hang out with me and stuff like that um what was the challenge obviously you can tell because I like to talk so it was like short films like condense everything in like five minutes to tell that you know that story enough to to do it and get it across but um and then with Rachel you know obviously relating on the heart condition part and also finding friends who you know and holding on to it and I wanted it to be kind of a happy ending of she realizing hey like kind of like the things I would want is my friend to realize like I messed up and you're really like the good friend and I had her run to kind of play with the whole romance trope when it's like I gotta run there like you know when they're running down like the street and they're like when it went like in when Harry met Sally like this is the moment and I think you like friends deserve that you know like Mm -hmm. We're not going to date, you know, I'm not going to want to, you know, be with you like that. But it doesn't mean like love can't be like that where it's like, hey, like I would run, you know, across town to tell you how much you mean to me. And I think reminding us to put in those efforts, especially if it's a friend who's been putting in that effort to be like, hey, like, yes, you know, I would give you water if you fainted. Yes, I would take the elevator with you so you're not alone when you can't you know take the stairs anymore um and and what's really nice is like so I, I made it with my sister um who who's on screen and then my best friend who plays the other character and also like co-directed that I, I met her in film school and she's honestly been one of those friends like that for me but it's crazy that like in the 10 years I don't have like a whole, you know, like, ba ba ba. There's friends definitely in moments. Sometimes they don't last forever, no matter like what pink you promise or, <laughs> or things that you make. Um, but sometimes it's hard. But like, th- that was the nice thing too, making it with somebody that I knew, like, yeah, like if I would have met you in high school, or yeah, you, you've taken the elevator with me in college when it's like second floor, even or things like that. So it's, it was nice to be able to tell that story and what's been really nice, of course, because right now it's like the awareness campaign to push it, to push it, um, to do it. And what's beautiful is not only that, like, there was 115 submissions that are all done. Like, you have to have somebody who's disabled either in front or behind the camera in one of the positions. And yes, they tell you the story doesn't have to be necessarily um, disabled focused, but a lot of the stories are. What's, what's for me, though, what was a big reason, too, is um, 
even in the 115. I haven't watched all of them yet completely. Um, but I, I know just from seeing all the ones like I'm one of the few that is focused on someone with a chronic heart condition. Mm-hmm. And I know it being a non-visible disability, we also don't have a lot of visibility as heart patients in a yeah. lot of this media. So I felt important, like, no, I'm going to tell this story and I'm going to tell it through a lens of this. And, you know, it may not, you know, yes, yeah, not the main focus. Cause I think like anybody, you don't want that also to be the main focus of your life. But I think it comes to a point of, Hey, like, do I want to tell these stories for the rest of my film career? No, I do have other ideas for other stories and things like that. But I realized like, like, no, if no one else is doing it. So I'm going to have to do it. And I'm, why would I wait around for, no, I'll just wait till somebody else says it's like, I'm waiting around and no one's really telling those stories. So I, I felt the very need for me to go out and, and to tell it, you know, cause no one else is. And also it is easier to kind of tell stories that you've experienced. It is easy to write yeah. when you know, when you know what it's like, you know, to be the person with the condition and you can come up with a bunch of like excuses, like, like, Hey, it is really hard on me and all that stuff. But I do like that for me, I wanted to write very like, Hey, I'm not going to let you off easy just because you have a condition. I'm not going to pity you, which is something like that I would want in a friend that's not like always pitying you because no one wants to be in that situation where they're like, where you feel like less than because no offense with pity, you kind of feel like, Oh, I am not equal because mm-hmm. you're looking down at me and you're oh babying me it's like I want to feel normal and I should be held accountable if I've been a crappy friend you know like I should be held to these normal standards. you know standards yeah exactly so it, it's been a lot of fun I definitely um you know would love to ex- to expand it and definitely especially hearing all the great like comments and messages that people have left and how much it's just resonated with them um definitely like the push of like yes this is something I need to keep telling these stories and doing it and 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 that's been a big part of me I've even wanted to like document like real life stories of the heart community because like then you have a vast collection of hey I want this character with this, this specific thing and then oh what have you experienced in your life and and it helps also writers because you realize like when someone writes a thing and you're like, that is not accurate at all. Like, especially hmm. if you've been through it and you're like, this is some, um, that's like bad. Like, you're like you didn't research anything. Cause I, I'm with somebody yeah. as a writer. I do. I spend more time researching and being like, wait, would that be accurate? Or would that be this and that? And, and things like that, because you want to give like good representation. And, and for me, it's, it's not a perfect film. We made it with like three of us, like in five days. So, you know, like the perfectionist in me was like, if we had more time, you know, this and that, but, but I'm happy with the story that we're telling. And um, regardless if we, if we win anything, just the, the comments for me is what, what matters. So that's why I got into filmmaking is for someone to be like, wow, that movie really touched me or I felt very seen in it. And mm-hmm even the wide range of people like from like this, like one of my friends from hard charge, like he commented and he was like, I cried. And it's like a grown man in England. And you're like, Oh my gosh. gosh. Like what the heck? You're like, Oh wow. You would have never thought that was like your target audience, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like range Mm -hmm. and, and gender. Um, But, but it's, it's been really great. And so it's just kind of a, it's been a good momentum of like, okay, let's, 
let's keep going and keep telling these stories and, and telling them, you know, with as much realism and, and accurate representation as we can to, you know, keep the audience engaged and, and to tell it because sometimes it's more effective to tell it in that medium than a news piece or, you know, yeah. or things like that. And, and we're big on that of like doing new ways for people to learn the importance of whether it's using an AD in a music video or just how to treat a friend in like a short film, like, hey, people resonate a lot more with video stuff than yeah. reading an article or things like that, which is good and bad, but. <laughs> no, no, I completely agree. And I, I watched the video when you sent it over the other day and like, I thought it was great because not only are you increasing awareness of heart disease and, and different effects that we can have, but then it's very relatable too, because like you were talking about with um, the two main characters and the struggles that they have. And um, it's just really, really relatable. Um, But at the same time, you're still providing a ton of really good education to the audience as well. So I think it would definitely um, motivate and educate a lot of people. No, thank you so much for saying that. Yeah. And, and, and then that's the hope really like, like there's a power when I mean, I'm a big, person on like going into the movie theater you know that's where I spend most of my money's um expensive movie <laughs> tickets um but like there's something powerful about like going in there with a bunch of strangers and being moved by you know like a moving picture by a piece of art and and sometimes you may take the same thing or you take something different but like yeah you think about the stories that like have impacted you or the movies like you remember those more than like legislation that was passed or things like that like you remember a character or a line in a movie or things like that so it's like yeah like hey and I think these stories also deserve to be told in a range of all genres you know not just and that's what's nice about the disability film challenges every year they do a different thing like yes what would be great is like a comedy about this I mean of course you know like as the heart patients, you're like, I can laugh at my own stuff. But when someone else laughs about it, you're like, uh, excuse me, <laughs> you know, but like get to that point where, you know, like, like it is nice when you feel like it's a group of people coming and being like, oh, oh my gosh, like, did you see like, for instance, like the Tom Hanks movie, which is kind of upsetting for me because I'm not like, when I watched the trailer, I wasn't like, oh, this is a movie. It's not like the Barbie movie, which I'm like, yes, I'm going or Oppenheimer, like, I was like, oh, a man called Otto. I'm like, okay, so like Tom Hanks is playing a grumpy old man. Hmm. But that man had HCM. And like, that's the movie that's being told in my condition. So you're like, that's so upsetting that me as like a movie person was like, I was like, eh. And then I'm like, wait, I like have to kind of like watch this because this does have my condition in it. And yeah. even seeing all like the, like the HCMA, like, like there's an association HCMA and like, they did a review on it and then they like had people come and watch it. Like it was cool because it's like all these people like, wow, like, oh my gosh, let me go like watch it. Cause like this is being shown, but I think we deserve more than a grumpy old Tom Hanks, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> like having HCM because how many people are actually going to go, you know, watch that movie. Like that's the thing is you want something like big and popular. And I know even people push for like, <gasps> like a superhero, you know what I mean? Like things like that, like that they're definitely working on to even show more disabled people as the heroes instead of the yeah. villains in the superhero movies of like, yeah, it's crazy how impactful that would be like where that wasn't the only representation we were getting that. And then more people would be watching it and being like, 
oh wow like told about it so it's uh-huh. it's, a, it's an interesting and fun exciting time um to be able and I, I'm very grateful that my diagnosis you know though I had to stop a lot of things I was doing that I could still do this and it's kind of like what I was meant to do in a way mm-hmm. so though like mm-hmm. I had to be like broken down and like you know and feel like everything was like like oh my gosh what am I going to do with my life but it led me to exactly where I wanted to go and like my heart is something that very much leads my decisions um you know whether it be bad and big and <laughs> and wacky <laughs> um you know thinking it using that like I do definitely wear my heart on my sleeve and and feel grateful for this condition does not mean it's easy every day um and I'm very grateful for this community of people who have you know other crazy wacky hearts yeah um and yeah who are very supportive and you know we deserve you know good representation and enjoyable movies and tv shows that can educate people and make it a little bit easier for us to come out and and be like hey i i do have a heart condition like how cool would it be in a popular tv show that cool character that everybody likes and you go that condition I have that condition and everyone's like oh really wow you know it changes the whole the whole outlook and like the pressure of like coming out and telling people that you have something that makes you mm, different less than or different or abnormal or whatever yeah Mm -hmm. no I think that would be extremely empowering I think I I could have benefited from something like that when I was growing up because I didn't know any other kids with a heart condition, let alone my own unique ones. And I have a huge scar down my chest and it kind of looks like I, from where the tubing was, it almost looks like I have two belly buttons. And that was something I was kind of made fun of when I was growing up. And so to have a character that would have a scar and to rock it and to really like own it. And and I think that would send a great message to other kids that are growing up that live with scars no absolutely and even in like magazines and things Mm -hmm. like that and and my sister bethany is really big i mean her her defibrillator is a lot more like bulging out like yours hers you cannot miss mine is hidden nicely behind my left breast that you know you could wouldn't be able to tell unless i was wearing a more like revealing bathing suit and whatnot but like, and the the zipper scars, the the long ones on the thing is like, it's surprising that they are saying all of these fashion things are inclusive. And then all of us in the heart community are like, okay, inclusive, but like, when are we going to be included? You know, like, yeah. you know, when would we, we would like to see. And it's been amazing just to see how many young girls have reached out to my sister of her, like being so proud of her scars and literally being like, you helped me so much. One, get the device because like you know not only just seeing the picture but talking with them and there was this one young girl who my sister was talking to and she was like I used your picture when my family asked like what am I gonna look like you know Mm -hmm. and because people always ask you and then that kind of more on you you're like I don't know and then they're like well I read something here and you're like oh my gosh like the doctor just said it was gonna be like this big and I don't really know so like for all the people out there who are sharing their stories like it helps a lot because there there is a good majority of us who aren't that comfortable but being able to be able to like hey yeah this is exactly what I would look like this is the same you know device and and having young women be like okay there are people out there and I can still look beautiful with 
these scars that I have on my body, you mm -hmm. know, so hopefully one day, you know, there will be people like with our scars on magazines. So people then don't ask and make fun and say like, cause you won't believe like the nerve on people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, oh my God. What is and like the tone too? It's like, okay, maybe change your tone. Like you can ask me. I never said you couldn't ask me, but like, what is that? Or like, I'm like, what if I asked you, how would you feel? You know, but people don't, people don't really apply the golden rule to stuff like that where you're like okay how do you think that would make me feel but you yeah. know having where you feel like there's a community behind you where you could have that confidence to be like this is what it is you know and there are other people like me you know so it, it is hard to like there's so much awareness that has to be done and it, and it's hard when people ask like so what do you do da, da, da. and it's like a lot of what we do in our organization is just bringing awareness because we just have to bring so much awareness to just get a seat at the table to be like it is important because it's not being told so much so it is it is hard to be like hey because hey, nobody else is shouting from the rooftops but it, it's nice to have a community where people are then you're just like okay how many more of us does it take for us to shout for you guys to like take us seriously and and things like that like with Damar Hamlin People mm -hmm. weren't like, oh, until it happened on live television. Yeah. And you're like, like, you don't want it to get to that. But, and you also don't want it to take, but of course people don't care until it affects them personally, you know, mm -hmm. like, you're like, I don't want you to be affected by this, but if that's what takes you to care, you know, like it's, it's upsetting. And of course, like, yeah, who knows, like how big of an advocate unless you know if I wasn't diagnosed or whatever but I'd like to think like if I knew somebody like like my dad for instance he had open heart surgery um he had to get a, a bypass and whatever and I remember being like I'm gonna jump rope for heart for him through the American heart like I'm gonna help support him little did I know I should have not been jump roping <laughs> my own heart problem but that's a whole other thing you know but like yeah it's it's what we're doing in this podcast that you're doing is so important because like that's elite, that's what we have control of is to tell our stories and hopefully you know big enough people take notice to get it more out there and yeah and told so so thank you for what you're doing I, I really like your podcast and first of all you have like the best looking picture too and <laughs> I was like, you look like a superhero there. I was like, okay, <laughs> let's go. <laughs> Thank you so much. I yeah, I think it, um just spreading awareness as much as possible is like where we can really make an impact. And I feel like you and your sister are part of that crew. You are like doing a lot of grassroots efforts to like get the word out and trying to make a, a really big difference in your community. And I think that's what we have to continue doing. So. Absolutely. Where can people reach out to you if they have questions, if they want to connect with you guys? Yeah. So we, our biggest hub with young people is on our Instagram. That's what we made first. And then we became a nonprofit after, but so at heart charged with a D, um, charged, you know, like ED, um, that's where you can find us. Um, we answer all of our DMs. It's, it's us answering them, message us any time of the day, either we're asleep or we awake at 4 a.m., you know, find out. Usually <laughs> <laughs> I'm awake because I'm a terrible sleeper. Um, but yeah, so message us, DM us. You can also find our email there. Also, we have our website 
getheartcharged.org um, and all of that stuff there. You can email us at, contact us at. Um, we're the ones replying. So email, um, message DM. We're also open if you are like, hey, I'm not really much on Instagram and you want to text us and stuff like that. We're open with that as well because we're here to be friends, right? To give you support in, in whatever, you know, needs be. So you can contact us anyway we're also on youtube as well everything you can find us at hard charge so yeah awesome i will definitely include all of your contact info in the show notes of this episode thank you so much for your time i really appreciate it no thank you so much really thank you awesome take care you too Oh my gosh, I loved every moment of this conversation with Hannah. She is like the definition of a great advocate for herself. She had family history of heart disease. And despite one doctor telling her, nah, you don't have to get it checked out, she went and she did it anyway. And, you know, Hannah definitely could have been one of those kids that would have been on, like, playing sports and went into cardiac arrest like that was her potential future if she hadn't stopped those types of exercises and even though she had to kind of change her physical activity I think that she turned lemons into lemonade because now she's found her new passion of filmmaking and for advocacy and sharing each other's stories in a really creative and unique way. So I didn't tell you guys though, that Hannah's sister, who's the other co-founder of Heart Charged, Bethany, she will be joining me on another episode. So stay tuned for part two of this series. But with that, I will let you guys go. Stay happy, stay healthy. This is Devin. Devin.